All right, so this is another uh, another podcast installment I have with me today, Dylan. It is uh, Dylan's uh, last day in the shop. He's been with us, I think, four years. Four years. Yep. His entire college career was wasted at Sump. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, he worked here the entire time he was at, at the university. Um, he is also what I would consider our ringer when it comes to Coffee Fest espresso competition. He's uh, he's won us three plates in three different years, first place plates, not just plates in three different years. Um, so you know that's pretty fortunate. I don't I don't know that anybody else on staff could have done that. Uh, I certainly couldn't have done it. I couldn't even watch. I had to walk away several times. <laughs> you make me nervous. Uh, but so, your eyes. <laughs> I had to just walk far enough away that if you totally failed, I I could immediately be out of the sphere of that experience. Um, but anyway, so today we're going to talk about uh, the Columbia coffee we have in the shop, the, the Pyramide. Uh, we've already done a little video on that, so all the details on that coffee are already up on the blog. We're just going to drink some coffee um, and kind of call out the tasting notes out loud, like call signs. Uh, and, then, and then from there we're going to just talk about the history of Sump, or your historical experience at Sump, and um, and you know what it was, what it became, and and maybe what it will still become uh, after you leave, or what it should become. Uh, but before we get into that, I thought it would be nice if you kind of give everyone, all forty people who are going to listen to this, um, <laughs> a little uh, background. In terms of coffee, you can be selective, like, where did you start? I think this is pretty interesting because it shows that you were destined for coffee from an early age. Um, you know, where did, where did you start, how you got, got a job at Sump, and then, and then in general, maybe why you're leaving. I mean, not too many details. You don't want people to stalk you. But just, you know... Wh- just what, my address. Yeah, just your address. Social your security. Social security number, your full last name. So anyways, where did you get your start in coffee? So my start in coffee, I just kind of stumbled into it. Uh, there was a coffee shop opening up in my high school, um, which was very odd. We just had some extra funding, I guess. And uh, my teacher just asked, said that we were going to be doing it, and I said that that would be awesome to do. Uh, and so we got trained by a company called PTs, which is was pretty thought pretty good then. I think. Uh, And so we were trained by them. Um, And then the first day we did it, I was like, this is incredible. Why? This is the first time I did it. Like, I made a cappuccino, and it was like, I was like, why is this fun? Yeah. I just poured milk into a cup. Yeah. Um, Well, but, like, so... so several. What what was just back up? So your teacher was this like homeroom? Did they open it up to everyone in the school? It was a business class. Oh, a business class. Yeah. He was head of uh, the business administration department, or high school business administration um, and he was going to be the head of it and he liked me and one of my friends and he was like, you guys should do this since you're going to be juniors next year. Uh, wow. And so basically you, you, with his help, opened up a cafe with some consulting from PTs. Yes. And then you... More ra- than a little consulting. <laughs> and, and then you ran it for your senior year? Mm-hmm. For the whole year? The junior and senior year. Junior and senior yeah, year. Yeah, it was me and one of my good friends at the time. Uh, we kind of headed the operation 
by the making coffee wise and then uh, the teacher acted more as like a business mentor mm-hmm. um, so we got a little bit of business experience uh, it was really my first customer service job well, um, but then so, you worked at PT's too right yeah uh, it that? took a little while for that to happen uh, PT's just seemed like this bigger company that I wasn't able to work for for some reason and then I think a few months into that position at the high school I decided to just apply to the PTs. I was like, oh, screw it, you know, it's fine. Yep. I'll go for it. The big um, Little did I know at that point, though, that cafe was starting to turn into sort of like the black sheep of the company and ended up being sold a month before I started working there. Oh, really? So it was still PTs, but it was not owned by the same company. So I was still trained by PTs. Mm. Um, so I started working there, and I worked there for, I believe, 15 months. And since it was sold, they lost all of that funding that they had. So I was working on like an old espresso machine. One of the group heads like lost pressure. So you Some mean people were still using the cafe it. that you worked in that was a PTs yeah. became something else. Lost. It was still funding. called PTs the entire time. But it time lost I its funding. There. Yeah. So and it was more like my understanding. I've never been there, but this was in Topeka. Mm-hmm. This was more like. A second wave style kind of cafe, or somewhere sec- in the middle, sec two point five wave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two point five. The wave. new cafe that they opened, I think, was that's what I would qualify as third wave. Yeah, and then you graduated, and then you moved to the other side of the state, and you got a job at Sump. Yeah, so I had been to Sump a couple times, and I hadn't had a ton of experiences going to really good coffee shops. I had been to a couple in Kansas City. But honestly, since I started coffee, I hadn't gone on that many vacations where I was able to go to a lot of good coffee shops. Yeah. So coming to Sump for the first time, I think I was, it was a couple months after I started at PT, so I would have been a junior in high school still, just finishing up. And I remember coming in and my initial like thought was oh well you only get one coffee when you go to a coffee shop and I had no idea what to get and then I think I just ended up getting multiples oh, and yeah. then I don't know if I've ever been that caffeinated before <laughs> I had like a brewed coffee um, I think it was a natural it tasted like blueberries and it was exceptional yeah. um, so I was a big fan from pretty early on I think that was yeah that was early 2012 so I think I Maybe some had been open for a few months. Oh, yeah. Only a few months. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was a huge fan. Uh, I went a, once or twice more in the following year, my senior year. You have one of the I had a t-shirt. Shirts. I actually... This is this is the shirt. No way. It's yep. held up so well. I know. That looks awesome. I figured I had to wear it on yeah. my last day. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I just try to keep it neat. It looks sharp. It looks very close to the new red ones we ordered. Yeah. So... I remember you interviewed, came in after... You thought my sister was my girlfriend. Yep, came in with your <laughs> sister because you needed a ride. I thought she was your girlfriend for a minute. I'm not that cheesy. But, uh, yeah, and then pretty much I feel like my experience... Again, we were, we were pretty new, year old maybe. My experience was most of the people we would not let on the espresso machine. Like, most of the early hires, we would be like, no, you can't pull shots, Um, you can brew coffee, and you work your way up to the machine. But I think you, outside of anyone who's, like, maybe come from, like, a a bigger shop or something, 
uh, I think you were probably one of the few early on in that window. Things are a little different now, but uh, you you were like a natural. I mean, your maybe your milk work needed a lot of work, but you were more focused on you know extracting the flavor and dialing in the espresso, which I think is the most important thing. Some you know too many people early on focus on the milk, um, but because it's more fun. Yeah, it, I mean it, it's visual. You yeah. you look at it, you can't visualize taste, but. I think you were kind of like, I don't want to say natural because it sounds weird, but <laughs> no, just like, I don't know. But you were, you, you, you just, you fit in right in that. And then you were like the workhorse for our busy weekends. Like you would just stand and pull shots for eight hours. And, and, and in the beginning, we didn't have a lot of money. So staff was thin. So it would be two or three people on a, on a busy day. Now you can take a lunch break and, you know pause but it was it was pretty intense back without then. the poor study too yes and without the poor study so there was a there was a lot lot more moving parts but i think you know thinking back in terms of like people coming into the shop and when we put them on the espresso machine for your young age you couldn't even drink which was weird for us to have like <laughs> cafe or company parties or anything like that but you just did it i mean you just like you had like a sixth sense for it and then you know, then you won these competitions for us and things like that. So it's definitely going to, I mean, anyone being anywhere four years is going to have an impact on its culture. And you leaving is definitely going to be felt very significantly. So I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you applied. I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad we didn't accidentally fire you or you accidentally quit for some reason. And that it kind of is a complete chapter. As you get ready to move out of St. Louis and head up to the Chicago area for a little while, explore other options to be named, basically. Sofa surf for a little bit. <laughs> Look at that. All right. So anyways, that, that's, that's your path to coffee and where it goes next is, uh, is another chapter and I guess another podcast. One thing we have been neglecting a little bit is this coffee. Yes. So it's uh, it's cooled off pretty well, but I wouldn't call it room temperature. Um, I'm refill. Uh, I, it's I'm going to be hard pressed to come up with anything anything new or insightful to say about this coffee that I think I haven't already said. But um, to me, it's a little it's a little dry. Could be chocolate, like a dark milk, a black tea. Maybe something a little floral, but it definitely has a, a dryness which softens as it starts to cool. But when it's hot, there's that kind of, I don't want to give it a full baker's chocolate kind of dryness, but there is that astringency to it or black tea kind of astringency to it. I don't know. What do you think? I think, well, when it was hot, I agree with you on the uh, bitter chocolate. Um, there was a little bit of like, when you drink a... Uh, like a oolong or like a more floral herbal tea yeah. when it's too hot to drink really um, but you still taste some of what you're going to find when it cools off yeah I think that has it's there's some similarities there um, but the reason I like this coffee so much is um, so many people think of Colombians as just like those like they're always going to be like kind of soft sweet maybe chocolatey or caramely mm-hmm. but this one has so much more going on mm-hmm. I think yeah I get a little like candied orange citrus sweetness or something maybe a, like something an orange 
citrus blossomy kind of note mid 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 palette. Um, yeah, it's it's complex. It's not like sometimes when we book a coffee, it's uh, a coffee from Colombia. I mean, again, attempt depending on price point and region and all that. But sometimes when we book it, I feel like it's gonna be just a general all arounder for the people that come in the cafe and say, you know, they look at the menu and they say, I just want a cup of coffee. I mean, and that's really all we do, but they really are saying, I don't want fancy coffee, I just want regular coffee. And so, you know, you got to walk them to that. And so I don't recommend this coffee to those people. I typically, I've been recommending the Peru and maybe the Costa Rica we have on the menu. And uh, I find myself recommending this coffee uh, more to the group or class of people that I think would be interested in the Reiko, the Ethiopia Mm -hmm. that we have. Just because of its complexity, it's light, not as night, light, light as the as the Yoga Chef, but it's very surprising and it's very, um, it really opens up and provides a lot of complexity, just like a, a complex wine would after it kind of opens up and oxidizes and lets you really explore, creates a really big space uh, for you to explore flavor and and just sense mm-hmm. in that space. Um, so this is a great coffee. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the coffee again because we've talked about the coffee before in other places, but to stay consistent with the theme of what we do on the podcast of drinking coffee and having conversations, we had to pick a coffee. So we picked this one because it is Dylan's, it is your second favorite right now? It is my second favorite. And I completely agree that people that like the the Ethiopia Reiko right now, I've been suggesting that to them as well um, because it has that citrus and floral components. Um, it's not too heavy. It's tea-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exactly what I like. Yeah. So... Yeah. If somebody's like, I liked the Ethiopia, I'm just like, hey. Yeah, this is it. This is what you need to try next. And so your favorite in the shop is is the Ethiopia. Yeah. Right? yeah. And that's just As because... As an espresso and brew. <laughs> yeah. That's just because that coffee, it feels like it just comes around for a short window, once a year, and it is pretty special and very complex and very different. And so it, it's very crush-worthy. I agree, and we have history with it. Yeah, and we ha- you've won with one of them. Yeah, f- was five it- days after we got it in the shop. Oh, right. That's right. I feel like most of our most of our all the competitions, except for the one we lost. Yep. Were were very short planned in terms of sourcing what coffee we were going to bring. So almost everything we did, it was kind of like, oh, we got this on the shelf. Maybe we had a little bit of experience with it a few days. Yeah. Not even like. As, as part of service, just just exploring as EK shots. And we're like, let's go do the competition with this. And then when we tried and we sourced something, we lost. So, Those who try will always fail. Yeah, so we, we, <laughs> we try and, well, we had, we'll see what the future brings to us, but we had this ritual where I felt like we always competed well with Ethiopia, so we tried to do that, and we always tried to pick at the last moment. <laughs> that was it. So that was kind of like the the... The, the goal or the criteria for the coffees we brought. Um, anyways, um, I thought this would be a good opportunity to be uh, a little reflective because uh, I feel personally a little reflective too. I think when a business reaches the five-year mark, that's where we are, five and a half, almost six, um, you know, all that passion and energy and the, the reason for being and doing um, that you, you have when you start a business 
kind of comes all out and then you're doing all these course corrections and you're just trying to survive and adjust the model so you can pay bills and figure it out. If you make it to five years, it's it's not like you made it and you just like it's a 401k kind of thing. You just retire and coast. But that that energy and that sort of reason for being, you know, is still there because hopefully you're executing on core principles. But you need to inspire yourself and I think inspire um, your clientele and your loyal customers and the team you assemble that's that's making the coffee and you need to find a way to challenge everyone and challenge the you know the brand that's just the shorthand term of just saying what we are as an organism to to go to the next level or find out what the next level might be or you know I don't I don't know finding self-inspiration sort of middle life in anything I think is very difficult and so um, I've had a couple of conversations because we've had a couple of, you know, goodbye events for you. Uh, that, you know, well, really only one. Today was supposed to be special, but the one was on Saturday. And so we had some customers come in that had been longtime customers and they were drinking and they started, you know, sharing with me about what Sump was when they came here initially, you know, when you were kind of mm-hmm. your early years, um, wh- what, it, what it became and what it is today. And it made me think a lot. And when it, we first opened, because we didn't really have any coffee experience, meaning me, um, we didn't really have ways of doing things. Everything was a discovery. We were just trying everything. So it wasn't like we spent 10 years in coffee and we just took that and we said, all right, we're going to take that model, we're going to tweak it, and we're going to put it in a corner, on a corner in a city that has a need for a coffee shop. It was a little bit more of an art project, and it's like we have no coffee experience we think we know what we like when we put it in our mouth and we're going to try and find a way to that and we're going to try and inspire and create a dialogue and a market out of that with the customers, with the people that come in. And so one person in particular I'm thinking about that said that when they came in, they didn't really know what they would expect each time because we would, you know, be always changing brew methods. Uh, You know, one time we used to put three coffees on on espresso, not decaf, but three single origin coffees. So we'd have to dial them in. And so there were, it, it was always in flux and it was always our own self-discovery and the highs that we would share with people that I think were a little infectious. And then the lows too. Uh, he also said, you know, he would come in and he could tell I was very frustrated. <laughs> and he's like, you know, he's not, he's not really sure how other customers digest that but you know you're like yeah (laughs) don't poke the bear but um so now it's much different now we not much but it's different so we have we've settled into things that i think make the coffee exceptional and methods and things that we think we've mastered so we only pull two single origin shots now so you don't have three and we try and keep those on the bar longer so we have more experience with those so that those shots can be more consistent or we have more control over them from day to day. Um, and we have the poor study now. I, I still think the, the, the attention and detail that needs to go into that to make a good product uh, is necessary. But once you set that, you kind of, well, it's doing the same thing every time. So... 
you can't be too analytical about a robot <laughs> once it does the thing that you want it to do. So, um, but I think me personally, I enjoy, and maybe because it's because I do less shifts on the bar, I enjoy drinking the coffee more. I think like, that's why. I mean, <laughs> when I go down there, it's like everything I drink is like, oh man, this is so awesome. It's like, how could anyone not like this? You know, it's like, all I can't, it's like, Idiots. we have like, yeah, we have like six coffees on the brew bar and it's like, I, I can't decide which one I want, you know, every, cause I feel right now they're all kind of hot. I mean, I have favorites, but it's like, they're all pretty close. Um, so you coming into the environment where it was, where I was on the bar more, where it was very more emotional. I know when Mars worked down there, I mean, it was definitely probably less pleasant for everyone during the days that were less pleasant and more euphoric and exciting when the days were good. And so, you know, your experience coming into that environment and kind of where we are today as you as you leave, what, what, what do you, what do you think about that? Or like, what are your kind of thoughts from that point where it was basically Mars, myself, you and Matt and a couple of other players that have cycled in and out, but that was it. That was the team. And it could be really intense. It could be really boring. It could be really fun. And, you know, we could all be discovering the same excitement in the coffee. Um, versus now it's, a little bit more, maybe more of a job or a career for some people where they just, they come in, they, they do their shift, they're still trying to get something, you know, awesome, but they're going to work with that same coffee for four to six weeks on the bar, so there's a great deal of familiarity. You don't have to spend hours and hours dialing in or getting to know a coffee because you've already done that over a course of four weeks. Um, and then, of course, we have the poor study, and so that's a whole philosophical dimension as to what that really means what do you, what are your what are your sort of unformed or formed thoughts on that direction or that trajectory well starting here it was <clears throat> much much different than it is today um it was more about big highs and huge lows where you come in and the coffee tastes great and everybody's super stoked on it and everyone's happy Sometimes there was uh, not as much excitement, and it was a little more, I should just keep my head down. <laughs> right, right, because there would, be, there would be days like, I mean, where I was like, we're closing the shop. It was very emotional, it was very dramatic. Well, and it was, especially on days where like the espresso machine was down. Yeah. That was hard on me, though, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we used to have two espresso machines, and our primary espresso machine went down, and you pulled shots for a whole day on what I would consider our more decorative machine. I know. <laughs> I remember the machine broke down 10 minutes before open, Yeah. and I really quickly dialed in one coffee on the FEMA, yeah. the decorative one, Yeah. and we went with that for the day, yeah. and somehow it worked. Luckily, we had it set up, and it was hot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the beginning, um, I didn't know what coffees like we're going to be in the hoppers to for espresso when i came in sometimes and we used to have to tape uh, a label on the hoppers to say what they were right because they changed so it was and it was every time i came in we had the book that had what was done the day before but it could have been different so there was a lot more you had to be on your toes before yeah uh which was really exciting um 
I think it is better that we have a little bit more experience with them now. Uh, I don't have to like be nervous about not being able to get a coffee to taste right anymore. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the biggest changes have been, I think, in the way we react to customers and the way customers react to us. So I think people can still come in with a little pretension about uh, what they're going to be experiencing. Like, I hear you guys don't allow this. And we're like, no, it's it's fine. You know, <laughs> we're just trying really hard over here. What she said today, the epitome of Sump was... Like, how I came in and tried to make three espressos taste good and an AeroPress, and then nobody came in, and it's like, yeah, that's the epitome. (laughs) (laughs) You work super hard in the morning for something, and then the first ten people come in, and they want some Starbucks drinks. Yeah. um, Which were much... I think we're a lot more approachable as a company now, which is good. Yeah. Because living in... I mean, being in St. Louis, a lot of people, it's very easy to get here from... The non-city folk yeah. that want maybe a Starbucks drink. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I totally agree with you. I think, um, again, the early years were more like, for me, a personal art project. And if somebody asked for something that me as an artist wasn't making, <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was hard to say no and suggest something else that didn't come across in a way that would set them off. Yeah. There was times where I was like, I would be like, holy shit, this tastes so good today. And I would be so excited to serve it to people and then nobody wanted it. And somebody would order a drink that would just totally kill the way the espresso tasted, like a big milk drink or something. And I would get like really frustrated with them. And I was like, this is not their fault. Right. They need to calm down. Right. Just because you think it's good doesn't mean everyone's going to order an espresso. Yeah, but I think also... That was like an internal struggle with myself. But I think, hopefully, too, over that period of time, we built an identity. And that we still, you know, we'll get people that come in and, you know, want something and we're... We don't necessarily... It's not front and center on the menu and we'll offer it or try and be flexible and accommodate them. But I feel like more people seek us out. And so that when... Or maybe we've developed enough of a regular base that we do have someone like Brennan who will come in and you know if you like the shot and you're digging it, he's going to order it. And he's going to be able to identify. You guys are going to be able to look in the eye, each other's eyes and say, yeah, I got, I got this. I <laughs> got do this. do a little dance. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, I understand you. It's like telepathic. And so that takes time too. I mean, even when Brennan first came in, I think he was like ordering dirty chai drinks and he's got like a like a way that he always likes to off menu stuff to kind of make it a little more unique for himself and now that he comes in he just gets espresso I mean that took time and that that dialogue and that experience and so a lot of it is on us to build the market and try and communicate to people even though they just see a sign that says coffee what it what we mean by that and what we're trying to do but yeah we've we i wouldn't say we've like got wore down that we've just given up our core values but we have become a little bit more skilled and flexible at talking about what we do so hopefully people don't feel offended or or put off by it you know again it's just like 
we don't claim to do everything possible in the coffee world, just a small segment of it. And if we can convey what it is we do and you know, people still participate and decide to place an order after we convey that, then I feel like then that's where the trust begins. But if they come in and say, I want X, and we say we don't do X, then there's already this push-pull adversarial kind of um, relationship that's developed. Everyone's going to be defensive, and they're never going to trust us, and we're never going to be able to demonstrate those aha moments. But anyways, anything else? Uh, yeah, another difference was, uh, I think, after enough discouragement from us just trying to push out the best stuff that we were doing and then getting knocked down a little bit, I think all of our egos went from an elevated level to a more reasonable level, which I think that allowed us to be more open-minded towards not everybody wants straight espressos yeah, and some people need sugar. Yeah. Even though I don't think the coffee needs it. Yeah. Um, so I think after a lot of time, we just kind of chilled out. And But the good thing, though, is I don't think the coffee quality has changed at all in the last four years. So. Well, that's good. I still think we're the best. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not on bar, so I can enjoy it more. It's not <laughs> so personal, but I really enjoy it. And I am... I'm often surprised how much I enjoy it. Um, And that sounds kind of weird, but I remember Mark from Kuma saying, uh, when we used to buy coffee from him early on, um, and he was roasting on that 12-kilogram probat, was making some amazing stuff, um, I would travel, or I would ask him, like, because we were multi-roaster, I'd be like, who else should we try, or who should I check out? And uh, he, I would take his recommendations, some of his recommendations. I'd get him in, and I'd be like, "Why? Why did you tell us this?" And he's like, "Look, man, I can't, I feel bad just saying I'm the best. I I want to make sure that like you know you it's just not me believing my own bullshit or something." So there are many days where I get up and I enjoy the the coffee so much, and I just think, "Am I just like have I just Jim Jones Kool Aid my whole life?" <laughs> I'm only going to be able to drink this coffee that I think is so awesome. And I'm going to have a hard time with other stuff. But, um, so that's good to hear. I mean, you know, because we we've have been able to keep our core team together. But most of everything that we did originally, I essentially did as much to make it as, say, you do now. I mean, and that includes roasting everything, pulling shots, doing milk, and now... I still set the profiles for new coffees, but 80% of what we roast for production is not done by me. And you said the um, profile for the poor study. Yeah, for the poor study, yeah. I mean, but, you know. Which is a huge part of. It is a huge part, but I think, like, with the input of you guys, you know, with, like, we try a bunch of things, we taste it, we talk about the method, and so I couldn't do it in confidence without getting input from you, you know, from people I trust. So uh, it would be a different story if I, if, if the team were, or there was a, a dynamic such that I was like, I don't trust anybody, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome, and, and or vice versa, whatever, I'm an idiot and everybody's awesome. But I think having that dynamic and maybe having being all of us 
being somewhat, as you said, a little bit more humbled or realistic, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to talk about coffee because before we've had teams uh, in the shop before that worked here where it was so divisive and competitive yeah. because everybody had to like, it, was, it was everyone was right, no one else knew what they were doing and, and yeah. that's rough too and that, that takes time and that takes the right group but so... So I couldn't do all these things without you guys. And I mean, I think you, you have, you know, not only being, let's, let's call it an espresso whisperer, you have to have a good palate. And I, I, I feel like, <laughs> I, think, I think like the thing is, is that my primary kind of criteria for hiring people is you have to have a good palate. You have to be mechanically coordinated, so you can't be awkward. You got to be able to like pat your head and rub your stomach. And if you have coffee experience, that's a plus. But it's kind of that order. You have to be able to taste things and articulate it. You have to be able to manipulate things mechanically, efficiently. And if you come in with some experience, that's good too. But if you can't taste, but you just come in with coffee experience, like ten years at wherever X Cafe. But your taste is all screwed up, then I don't think you'll ever work. You'll it'll, you'll never I make something good agree. here. Some people work in coffee for so long that they just get stuck in their ways. And yeah, the way you did things ten years ago is so much different than you do things right, now. Right, right. Uh, people will claim that there is now a certain right way to do things for forever, but I don't believe that. So I don't, I don't believe that either. Um, but I think that's what's good about you guys is that you know. When we form the team, um, hopefully I'm driving that initially because it's, if you will, it's my capital, it's my dream. But when we get to a point where you guys are vested in it, then you should be and have been pushing me to make me deliver on my promise to source good coffee, to get us good equipment, to you know, make it so that you can do your job and that you can excel and so that you can feel good about coming here as opposed to it's just a $10 an hour job or whatever it is and I, I need to make money and I might as well be here as a, uh, compared to somewhere else. So um, anyways, um, what, what do you think, what do you think the future of sub, what, I mean, what should we, what should we do on the verge or what, it, what are just thoughts, not what we should do, but what are just some thoughts on uh, as we are on the verge of opening the second location that's like four and a half hours away losing key personnel such as yourself and then just as you said as your prior statement was you know that there are ways of doing things but those are not final ways of doing things there's tomorrow and tomorrow will bring changes and new insights and thoughts into what we did today and will cause us to change that doubt it reevaluate it and move on so as we are kind of in this transition or this this new phase, what do you, what do you, what should we be worried about? What or what should we what what do you think maybe we should focus on that maybe we're not focusing on or just any stupid kind of wisdom from Buckaroo Banzai you want to throw out or from the dude you want to just impart. Mm. Impart wisdom from the dude. Impart dude. Um, or one of the biggest transitions I had of opinions was, uh, I remember the day we brought in that first Fetco, and I was just like, what is that thing? And I was like, we're not using that. 
And then at some point, my opinion completely changed. I think it was when I had that batch brew. uh, I had a lot of batch brew when I was in Europe, and it was all so good. Yeah. And I was like, it's possible. (laughs) Right. So I think uh, as an idea, um, I think the new store is going to be really strong because it's going to be able to do more uh, production of drip coffee, which I think will probably be a lot of the clientele. Yeah. Um, However, with that kind of service, it makes you feel more rushed because you're serving those so much faster. Yeah. So I think an important thing is going to be you can push out the batch brew as fast as you can, but when it comes to the espressos, you still have to take the time on it. Yeah. Um, people know they have to wait on them, yeah. so it's not going to be the end of the world if they have to wait a couple of minutes. Right. Uh, and our espressos are not always so consistent, so sometimes it takes a little bit longer than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think with the future of Sump, I like that we're going in the direction that we're going to do more like a fast service, um, not as pour-over only style where you have to choose from a long list because mm-hmm. um, like you said earlier some people just come in and they just say I want a cup of coffee and we have an answer to that right now right <laughs> so if you were like I, I still even after five years consider some kind of most days like a slow bar because there's oh, yeah. intimacy and you know we, we don't have the volume that uh, you know other places have that have good locations or better brands but how would you feel like, like hopefully in Nashville we picked a good location and we'll be busy. But how do you feel as you know being vested in coffee and being vested in creating something of quality where that's an element of what you do where you're just kind of monitoring this very dumb robot and filling kind of probably to-go cups or whatever it is a very transactional way where you're not really getting to talk about the coffee, let's say, to that that segment of uh, clients. And, you know, where I always feel sometimes that people see that role, people that are consuming see that role as, uh, you know, not as somebody crafting something. So they're, I feel like they can be a little bit more rough in their attitudes to people that are if in. If they're seeing them just pour something into yeah, their hand. Yeah, that would be I like... I agree, but... Just like... Uh, I think there's an element to the monitoring the robot that can be seen in a lot of other industries, though. Yeah. Like, in the beer industry, you brew the beer, you make edits to it, and then you get it to taste right. And then what you do with it after you get it how you want it, you just do the same thing over and over and right, over again. right. And then you're just packaging it and sending out. So it's kind of similar to that. Or like when bartenders, like all the creativity goes into making one drink mm-hmm. and then it's just going over and over again and it's the same thing. Right. With coffee, it's a little bit different because uh, especially with espresso, it changes every day. I think with like a filter brew, uh, there's not anything to change from day to day mm-hmm. uh, unless there might be one day where it's off. Yeah. Um, older. just the Yeah. Like it, yeah, yeah. Especially if it's older. Yeah. Um, so I think coffee's kind of special that it does change every day uh, kind of irritating also <laughs> yeah, yeah I totally agree it's both 
Um, but still, I think the just pouring coffees and then still like creating drinks, especially espresso drinks, um, that's something that's not really like anything else. Yeah. Because you have to set it up every single day, which I can't really think of anything that you have to prepare. Right. Spend an hour on every morning right. to get to taste right. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think sometimes uh, everyone in the shop is both uh, sort of a head chef and front of house kind of hostess, GM, server, all that. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a big load. You um, And sometimes when you're pressing a button, you don't see the preparation that goes in before you press that button. So it's, it's no less because that skill and that value is necessary to get something that you execute that everyone will be happy with. But once you start repeating it, you can then all of a sudden just assume that it just somehow accidentally started that way to begin with and all you're ever doing is pressing a button. But um, I guess um, we should maybe kind of start winding things down unless you were going to say something else. I don't think so, no. So I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's been great having you in the shop. I mean, you started out... Um, I don't know. You've kind of always been a little bit of an older soul for somebody that started out at like 18 or 19 here in the shop compared to most everyone else who's come in at post-21. Um, you know, there are obviously times in your college career where you acted 20 or 21, but mainly out of the shop that caused an impact on you coming into the shop. You yeah. never acted that way in the shop. And I think... From outside criticism or, or from from comments I've gotten from other people in the industry, I think one of the things that they recognize being in the industry, not just coffee, but just the food service industry, is that we've tried to keep an adult staff and not like, you know, it's not a bunch of summer help, mm-hmm. you know, under 21 or something like that. And even though you came in probably as the youngest staff member we've ever had. And left. Yeah, and I probably <laughs> left as the youngest staff member we've ever had. Um, it never showed. And I think you were able to, um, you know, communicate and convey what, what it is we're doing, but also develop personal relationships with some of the more most sophisticated, you know, guests I think that we have come in here. Oh, that, yeah. You, you know, that... Uh, Those are, were huge are, sobering moments when I was like... Okay, this person is kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you've, it together. <laughs> you've served coffee for most of the celebrities that that I haven't yeah, even seen, like true. the owner of the Red Sox. Yeah, and then the guy from Arcade Fire. Yeah, and that then was a cool day. and who else? Who else? I mean, just those alone. Um, you you were Alton man- Brown. Alton Brown yeah, twice. You were, you were manning the shop all, essentially by yourself. I was out of town, I think. Yeah, when the owner of the Red Sox came in. That was, uh, and that was kind of the first time that you were running the whole ball of wax. That was two stuff. months after I started. So yeah, I was nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome, and he tweeted something. Yeah, I remember. So it's like you know, you can have many people come in, but once they put it on social media, it's kind of they put their reputation behind it. And that yeah, was like, I've had some insane experiences here that I never ever would have had if I was anywhere else. So so. I think it's great. I wish you luck. Uh, we'll be sorry to see you leave, but we knew it was coming, and I think, you know, more exciting things are ahead of you, obviously. I told somebody today, like, you know, I used to have certain fears, um, like, you know, I don't know, 
fears of certain things that would maybe cause me to die prematurely, like let's just say flying and airplane accidents or something like that, as an example. Now I don't have those fears anymore. And I was trying to, and they, and they asked me why, and I was trying to figure out why, but I think it's because, and don't take this the wrong way, but it's like I was always trying and waiting to do something. You know, like when I was in graduate school, I was, I was trying to, to become a scientist, then I went to law school, and I practiced law. I was, you know, I, I was forever living for that next milestone, that marker, you know, yeah. like maybe you graduated just in May, things like that. And now I've effectively, I, I have a dead-end job. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I have like no, I have no panic or dread that I'm not going to be able to do this thing that I've been waiting to do, you know, mm-hmm. like when people go to school for 10 years or whatever, because I've already gone to school for 10 years. I did that thing. It didn't work out for me. And so now I just make coffee. So I, I kind of have this dead end job. And so I guess I just don't feel that dread anymore. So it's, it's okay. So some like of those... that you're not scared for something to happen. Yeah. It's because like, well, it's... <laughs> I don't yeah. have regrets. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's kind of, well, you know, I did that thing I was supposed to do that thing. I was saving myself, you know, go to be a lawyer or live in New York or whatever. And now it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm just doing coffee, so it's okay. So it's weird. So it takes away some of those fears which are, are fraught with losing potential. And you're in the exact opposite. You, I'm not saying that you don't have fears or not, but you're on the beginning side of infinite potential. I mean, not infinite, but you, you've got a degree, so you've kind of got one aspect, but you're young enough that you could get a totally different degree and go... 180 or 90 degrees in a different direction or you keep marching forward and so it it is very interesting and it's a very exciting time I remember you obviously left home to come to college here in St. Louis but I remember the first time I uh I just moved to a city because I could you know Mm -hmm. like as an adult like I moved to to Berkeley to start graduate school but that was really me moving to to be me it wasn't like my my family didn't move me out there. It was just like, I'm doing this. I picked my apartment. It was like the beginning of starting something brand new mm-hmm. that I got to pick. That's what this feels like, kind <laughs> of. Yeah, and so it's very exciting. Yeah. And it's like... And I don't have a next step right now. Right, and the doors you open, and but there's no urgency for you to. I mean, you have plenty of you know, opportunities to get a job very similar to this or in another industry or whatever, or your other jobs that you're interviewing for and kind of your forever adult job or for your next five year kind of window. But the doors are, you know, you go up there and get discovered and be like a underwear model for Calvin Klein. You might be like, Hey, I'll do that. That's for a what while. my interviews <laughs> for next week. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's just like, you're like, I'm moving, I'm moving to this town and I don't know. I'm just going to see what... I'm going to knock on some doors and do some stuff. There was actually a couple people that came in today uh, that had that probably in their 40s have forever jobs. Yeah. And uh, they said, oh yeah, when I was 22, I moved to this city and I had like $200 in my name. And I was like, "Yeah, well, I'm not going that hard, but yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you basically have... It's good to know that people do it yeah i mean and and that and and you're supposed to do it i think it's like you can't get to 50 and have two kids and that forever job and then have that oh shit moment like i never got to move this city with 200 dollars in my pocket and make it work you like and people that do 
they break, and that's called a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, we're going to miss you, man. Uh, good luck, I'm sure. I'll miss this company most out of anything in St. Louis, for sure. Oh, thanks, man. So, I'm sure uh, I'll see you on Facebook or whatever. Not on Facebook, but Instagram or something. I'm sure this is not bye, goodbye forever. Yeah. We'll try and set you up with a subscription when you get an address yes. so you can get coffee. And hopefully you don't fall in love with another roaster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Mm-hmm.